Hello, and welcome to Foundation, the official podcast from Apple TV+. I'm Jason Concepcion, and this is your guide to the galaxy. From Trantor to Terminus and hundreds of millions of other worlds, space is a big place. We aim to make it smaller and brighter and add some context to everything you see on the show. Every week, I'm recapping and breaking apart every episode of Season 2 with Foundation showrunner and executive producer David S. Goyer. Welcome back, David. Thanks for having me. And today we're talking about episode three, King and Commoner, with a super exciting special guest. Today with us is Lou LaBelle, who plays Gail Dornick. Welcome, Lou. Hello. Great to have you. Thank you. Let's start with a a quick recap of this third episode, written by Lee Dana Jackson and Jane Espenson and directed by you, David. We open with Harry telling Gale and Salvor that they're heading to a planet named Ignis, but then they get to the planet and surprise he lied. I know how the math works. It doesn't design travel itineraries. It does now. It's an old imperial mining planet with these massive arachnid machines sticking out of the dirt. Harry takes Gale on this little pilgrimage through the sand, and they argue the whole time and kind of philosophical questions that they're going over in their head. We're here at the Radiance Behest. It's not some detour keeping you from what you want. (laughs) What I want is to slap you. They get separated in the mountains when Harry vanishes with Kale, the legendary scientist, mathematician, who is maybe a manifestation of the Prime Radiant. We're not... We're not going to return over that card. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We also meet Bel Rios, the imprisoned ex-imperial general who has spent years now on Lepsis' penal colony. Demarzel recruits him with some difficulty. Tell Empire he can go fuck himself in his big blue fucking dress. And the carrot that Demarzel dangles uh, for this mission is Bel's husband, Glewen, who Bel thought was dead. But no, he's alive. And they have a very wonderful reunion. Glaywin asks Bell to, you know, reconsider this. Do you really want to work for the Empire? Being under Empire's heel leaves a mark. And that doesn't go away when the heel is lifted. But he's a man dedicated to a mission, and he needs to get back in the game, or at least back in the game with the Empire. We also are introduced to a very charming, very, <laughs> very roguish new character who might be my new favorite character, the con man Hober Mallow. I'm a master trader. Money is my religion. Polly and Constant find him on the planet Corel, where he is pulling a con job with a teleportation device. And then he just barely makes out of this alive. He tries to abscond with Polly and Constant's ship, but they manage to drug him. You're not taking the escape pod. Look, if you think I won't hurt you because you're a woman, I will. And get him back to the Foundation, whether he likes it or not. Back to Ignis, Gale and Salvor find a unconscious Harry, just as they were about to abandon the planet. Probes are picking up activity in those monuments. What? A life form. And now, not only is he alive, but he is corporeal in a body. Where'd he get the body from? (laughs) David, where'd he get the body? Well, we're going to... Sort of explain that. I have no idea. And not completely explain it. But yeah, that's a big question and a big cliffhanger at the end because he first died in episode two of season one. And then he was resurrected in episode five as a digitized consciousness. And he's a digitized consciousness when we meet him at the beginning of season two in the Prime Radiant. And um, now he's got a body in again. How the hell did that happen? I still don't know. (laughs) And who did it and why? We we do a slow drip 
feed of information <laughs> to our uh, to our casting crew. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably for the best. Uh, Lou, seeing as how it's your first appearance here on the Foundation podcast, let's get to know you a little bit. Um, I was watching an interview you did with Trevor Noah where you mentioned that your dad is a Foundation fan, has the same PhD as Asimov now that we've got a season out. What does your dad think? He loves it. He was actually on set for this episode. He was there, actually. In, um, the Canaries, he came and he met David and they had a great conversation and he was just in awe. I think he's really proud, but also just like loves the concept in general and just loves everything about the show. We definitely bonded. We had a really nice dinner that night. He's a very smart guy. Yeah, best believe I felt very left out (laughs) in that conversation. But he's also, your dad's like a weird Renaissance man because he's also like a spear fisherman and just a bunch of crazy things. He's like a super macho guy uh, as well. Yeah. No, great. Yeah, he loves it. So he was very, very happy to be on set and to like see it all. Did you all talk about season one as it was coming out at all? We did. We did. I think when I got episode one, he was the first person that saw it with me. And it was just like such a great moment. And he was so proud. He was so proud. And he just loves it. He loves the story. He loves the way that it's being told and the differences to the books and like everything about it. Oh, wow. Well, hearing that is that he is a spear fisherman is quite interesting because your character does a lot of swimming and yeah. does a lot of math. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's what's so weird is we didn't know when we cast Lou. I mean, the character as written was required to do a lot of swimming. And it just so happens that Lou is an incredibly good swimmer. And water and the ocean is sort of part of her family's life. So it was just kind of a happy accident because... The bulk of all the underwater work on the show, Lou did herself. Yeah. It was just a coincidence. And it was a great coincidence. And it all kind of, like, worked out. I remember your dad telling me we were in the Canary Islands when we were filming this episode. And he and your brother, uh, her brother also works on the show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and got the job on his own. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and But they went out and went spearfishing that day. And then caught a bunch of fish and then brought them back and like yeah, cooked we, them in your hotel room. No, we cooked in my hotel room and we also ended up at Jared Harris's and did a barbecue there yeah. with the fish that they caught. What does Lou's brother do on the set, on the production? He's on set deck. So he, funny enough, that scene coming through the desert was the one like resetting the sand. <laughs> like literally, like yeah. they, they had like palm fronds and... Yeah. and, and big brooms because, you know, we would tromp through And there's actually a scene that's not in the episode. I know. And that scene is, you know, Gail kind of falls through the ground and is like half in, half out. And my brother was literally the one making the hole, setting it all up. And there's like quite a fun (laughs) photo of us both there. Well, let's get to this, this episode. It seems to me that this episode is so much about subterfuge and lying. Everybody's lying. Uh, Harry is... (laughs) is lying once again to his most ardent followers. Hober is in the midst of enacting this quite adept manipulation, some low stakes, but it's a cool device nonetheless that he's stealing. And then there is an indictment about capitalism and the foundation. Uh, Let's start with with Gail, Harry, and, and Salvor. What is Gail thinking in this moment when she's discovered that Harry has lied to her yet again? (laughs) They were supposed to go to Ignis, and now they're not there. Yeah, I mean, she's pretty done with him <laughs> by this point. I think it's quite evident, though. Like, she's, it keeps happening. It's like this vicious cycle of them, like, getting to a place where they're, okay, we're going to work together, and then it just kind of falls apart. 
I really like those scenes that we filmed in the sand dunes with yeah. the two of you because it was fun to just have these two characters just bitching at each <laughs> yeah, other. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and know. finally we get to do that because I guess yeah. in season one we were kind of just like, Gail and Harry have these like really intellectual arguments about yes. why they can't, they both want what they want. But here it's just genuinely, plainly just being like, you're annoying me. Yes, yes, <laughs> which was great. I mean, part of the thing that we wanted to do with this season with Harry's character was give him feet of clay and show all his Achilles heels. And, you know, he completely loses his temper and, and Gail loses her temper. And, and that was part of the fun of just now that they know each other and now that she's not in this one environment where, you know, I, I suppose this happens to everyone. If you meet your mentors or your inspirations, yeah. your heroes, and you're around them long enough, you'll start to fall into a real relationship. And, yeah. and just like a marriage or something, you'll you'll have your arguments. I mean, I love that. My favorite bit of that whole, like that story getting to Calais is in the cave when he's like, we need to get through this door. And she's like, it's not a door, it's a wall. And that little like yeah. back and yeah. forth is quite funny and like, you know, very familiar. Yeah, yeah. Our destination must be on the other side of this door. Traditionally, doors have hinges and maybe a knob. This is a wall. Open a wall, it becomes a door. And then as soon as they get through there, Harry's like, okay, actually, we don't need you anymore. <laughs> yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. I'd, uh, <laughs> God, Harry. Um, <laughs> yeah, it strikes me that Gail, you know, she's woken up after 100 years. She meets her daughter, shockingly. Harry comes out of the prime radiance screaming at her. And now she's tricked to go to this planet. And just when she's like, great, you go, Harry, go to go wherever you're going. I'm going to spend some time with my my daughter. He's like, no, you actually have to follow me with the uh, the prime radiant. And then he, you get to the end and she finds out that actually Kale can somehow support my my body and you can you can take off. He needed her to physically carry the radiant yes. to from point A to point B. So literally he was just like I just need you to carry this thing because I'm a hologram or whatever. I'm, I'm a computer program. I need you to carry, you know, this hard drive. And then as soon as it's there, he's like, bye. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And it's also like, because Salva at that point is just kind of like, just go with him. Yeah, like, just go. Let's just get this over and done with. That was part of the fun too, is introducing Salva into the dynamic because it's now this triangle. And on one hand, Silver is a woman of action, and Harry and Gail are these people of the mind. Mm. But even though they're bitching at each other, Silver quite rightly points out that they have a lot in common, and yeah. they're more alike than they both like to think, which is why they work well together and also why they annoy each other. And that's what's interesting about what was a pair now becoming a stool with three legs. Yeah, we've we've seen in the previous episodes— you know, Gail is struggling with this vision that she's had of the future in which she sees the daughter that she just met, Salvor, uh, dead at the hands of the mule. And now you have Harry on this trek telling her, yeah, you just don't don't give Salvor too much hope mm. that she might survive, that we might be able to change things. Um, how do you think that lands with Gail? Well, I think it's frustrating because I think Harry's actions are also based off of Gail's visions. And I think her point to him is like, if you can act on those and your next steps are as a result of my visions, then why can't mine also be? 
you want to observe one very small event in the future, the death of a specific human being, and apply massive forces in the present to avert Salvo it. Salvor solved your first crisis. She had help. Every historical condition was on her side, and if it hadn't been her, it would have been someone else. Conditions? You didn't put any psychohistorians on Terminus. And if it wasn't for her ability... I intended one psychohistorian to be on Terminus! Right? In another life, you might have taught your daughter all about my vault. It's also interesting because Harry's saying individuals don't matter, right? Mm. And and it's all about the bigger plan. It's all about the bigger plan. And yet, as Gail quite rightly points out, okay, you're saying individuals don't matter. You're saying even my daughter doesn't matter. But then you keep sort of making these exceptions for yourself and for your own goals. And and I love that moment when they when she says, you, you seem to find yourself, you know, very indispensable. And he says, well, it is my plan. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, there's a double standard with him that she's quite rightly pointing out. Your character, Gail, goes through so many things that are just beyond the scope of anything a person might experience. She can; She's just discovered that she can see the future. She's just met her daughter, who is actually older than her. Um, she's been asleep for 100 years. Um, how do you give your character the feet of clay that David was talking about and, and, and ground them in, in flesh and blood when so many of these wild sci-fi things are happening to them? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just taking what issue is in front of her at a time, just like I guess you and I would. I don't know. I like to not try and like juggle too many things in my mm. life. Like if I'm dealing with something, I like to deal with it and try and resolve it before moving on. And I guess Gail, I mean, she has a billion things thrown at her at the same time, but <laughs> <laughs> she's got like a step-by-step to get to like the bigger picture. And so I guess that's just what she does throughout the, the show. I think like that's something I like to think about this show is that although it has all these great ideas and all these crazy sci-fi <laughs> things, it's really fundamentally about things that we can all relate to, you know? I will say what you just touched on a little bit, Jason, is certainly for Gail's arc this season, very much on point. Her role in the overall plan mm -hmm. in the overall show now that it's revealed that she can see the future, we don't know whether it's the future or a future, becomes increasingly more important. And what does it mean when you've got a tool, the Prime Radiant, that can predict the future, a general future, but then you also have a person in the form mm. of Gale that can predict a specific future and do, do those two things cancel each other out or not? And so her role in just the overall kind of epic that we're telling starts to become more and more important. And then that in and of itself also, I think, makes Harry feel uncomfortable. I think she and Harry are probably the only people that can read the Prime Radiant at this point, but then she can do something else that he can't do. Mm. And that makes him maybe jealous, but certainly uncomfortable. Uh, where was where was that filmed? Where is Una's world? Uh, Fort Ventura. Yeah, Fort Ventura in the Canary in the Islands. South, yeah. the Fort Ventura, yeah. And that location was such a colossal pain in the ass. I mean, there was a day, I don't know if you remember this, we were stood on the ramp setting up for a shot and some random hiker, <laughs> like <laughs> member of the public, just like started, was doing his like walk that he'd been walking for eight hours and like just starts walking up the spaceship like, uh, ramp. across this sand dune. Yeah, he came up, <laughs> I came up the ramp. 
he like ruined the shot. Yeah. And and but like like it's there's these all these sand dunes and to even get out there it's like half an hour in RVs and then it's just the ocean. There's no roads there. There's no nothing. And he this like sixty year old German guy yeah. with like walking stick. <laughs> Just comes up. The ramp. Ramp. Where as did as you it, even? But first of all, where did you even come from? Right, and then he walks up the ramp as if like a space ramp of would, a spaceship would just be there in the middle of the desert, and just stares at us and goes, "Hello." Yes. And we're like, "Hi." Yeah, and then and then takes off across the dunes, and you're like, "That guy's probably vulture food," you know, because uh, yeah. there's like no water or anything there. And then the other thing that happened the day before we shot. Is we ran out there the day before. Oh, I had the story with the crew. It's just I don't know. There were about forty of us in these RVs, and we're just like broom, like over the sand dunes, over the sand dunes, because we were trying to figure out like, oh, where we're going to put the camera crane or whatever the next day. We come over the, these hills and we come around the bend, and again, there's nothing there, and there's a couple <laughs> completely naked having sex on the sand <laughs> as we round the corner, and then like, like. 10 RVs pull up and then like all these, and they they get up and they grab their their little clothes and they start running but there's like nowhere to run cuz it's just like like it's three, just sand three football fields of sand and they're just <laughs> running bare-assed across the sand while like 50 of us are just staring there and we're again why of all the places right. in the world would you it's come out like there it's not like there's a beach it's just like no. sand cliff and ocean yeah it was so weird that place oh so funny <laughs> It is really funny. Uh, let's talk about Harry for a second, because something I've been thinking about in a very sci-fi way is all of our Harrys. We had the original flesh and blood Harry. You have Harry that uh, was downloaded into the knife. Uh, of course, there's a Harry in the vault. You have the Harry jump from the knife to the prime radiant, and now he has a body. Throughout all those steps, David, do you, does the data completely get erased and moved to a new place? Or is there kind of like a ghost Harry in all those places once he's moved from there to the next medium? I think it's the latter. But then the other question is, when you make copies of things, do these various iterations get corrupted? Right. So, and then what does that do, you know, to the system? So, you know, on the sur surface of it now, there's another flesh and blood Harry mm -hmm. at the end of this episode mm -hmm. with Gale. Also, we know of there's another guy in the vault on Terminus. And so the question is that digital consciousness that you're alluding to that was in the knife that then gets transferred to the body. Well, is that digital consciousness still swimming around somewhere with Calais or not? So based on that, yeah, I would suspect there's there's probably more than two Harrys running around. So the question is, how many Harrys are there? <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, no. uh, Lou, Lou. So uh, obviously, dealing with one Harry is enough. Is, is enough. Uh, what will Gail's reaction be to potentially dealing with more than one Harry? <laughs> oh, goodness. I mean, I, yeah, no, it's wild. I also don't know how much she knows that, like how, in what capacity he exists, you know? When we start the season in the in the first episode, right? Gail slash mom has met one Harry, mm -hmm. yeah. and Salver daughter has met an entirely different Harry, right. uh, and and so that's just a shock in and of itself. Yeah. And so you're asking all the right questions, Jason. <laughs> 
another thing I've I've been thinking about a lot watching these episodes is just how much Gail's perspective on Harry has changed. We just talked about them bickering across the desert, just annoyed with each other. And at the same time, we see at the foundation the kind of reverence, quasi-religious reverence with which everyone takes Harry. And I wonder- Takes we, Dr. Selden. Ta- Dr. Selden, correct. Yes. But but as far as everyone knows, the same person. Yes. And I, and I wonder, what do you think Gail would be the reaction when she finally meets some of these people from foundation? And she's like, man, this guy- <laughs> <laughs> well, she sees a lot of him that a lot of people haven't, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And she, throughout the season, sees more and more and they, their relationship grows in completely different ways. And she learns so much more about him as a person rather than him as Harry Selden. I, I think one of the things that we're trying to explore this season, particularly in the relationship between Gail and Harry, is... You meet your hero and you're, you've, you're thinking one thing. Mm-hmm. And then you spend time with them and then maybe you start to see that they're not perfect or you get annoyed with them. But you don't know much about their interior life or their past history. Yeah. And so then as you learn their past history and the, their interior life and things become more clear about their behavior, mm. can you feel empathy for them? Can you feel sympathy for them? Does it change how you feel about this person now that you know about their past. And we just are picking at the surface of that in this episode. I don't think it's a giant reveal to say that we will be unpacking more of Harry's backstory this season. And like, I'm really curious. I know, cause I'm the showrunner. I, 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 <laughs> I, know, I know how it affects Gail by the end of the season, but I'm really curious to see how the audience's perceptions of that character changed by the end of the mm. season. You mentioned that quote where Harry responds to Gail saying, well, it is my plan, but at enough scale, I am insignificant. You seem to think you're very indispensable. Well, Gail, it is my plan. But no, at enough scale, I am insignificant. Hey, what does he mean by that? At what scale? We're already talking galactic scales. Well, that's interesting that you say that, right? So I, I think by inference, he's saying like, you'd have to go beyond galactic scale to the point where I'm insignificant, okay? So multi-galactic, maybe even universal. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big like powers of 10 extrapolation. Um, and it's impossible to, to not note the kind of parallels between Cleon and, and Harry at this point. There's there's many of them. They're potentially corrupted. They see themselves as indispensable to the particular project that they are carrying out. Harry has surely thought about this, but does he does he not grasp how much like Cleon he is acting? Um without revealing too much, that's very much uh, a discussion that comes up and gets explored more. All all of the parallels between Harry and the Cleons and even all of the things that Harry criticized the Cleons for being and for doing in the first episode of season one Mm. are very much, very deliberately thematically things that we're dealing with in this season. You know, you've got the Cleons who are cloned and have memories transferred from you know, one to another. And then you've got Harry getting a new body and apparently his memories mm-hmm. and personality 
being transferred to that new body. And if the audience is thinking, oh God, that's kind of similar to the Cleons, then that was very deliberate. Lou Gale isn't plugged in to the, you know, day-to-day ongoings with Empire, but does she at all, you think by this point, see any parallels between Empire and and the scheme that that Harry is uh, trying to unfold here? Yes, I also do think that she sees where what he's getting at to some extent. Yeah. You know, I think she understands where he's going with it. I just don't think she agrees with the manner in which he's doing it. I mean, she has seen the Prime Radiant, right? Yeah. Even in the first episode, she's basically glimpsed the plan all the way through to the end. So she does kind of see how much is going to be involved in saving yeah. the galaxy. I mean, I think she would have just walked away again if she didn't see value in it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. she did it once. Yeah. What's to right. say she wouldn't just be like, see, yeah, I'm just going to go live somewhere else by myself. <laughs> well, and what's interesting about the end of the episode is Gail and Selver basically arrive at the conclusion that Harry's manipulated them and screw it and they should leave. And then they go to leave. Mm. And then there's this life signal. And before it's even confirmed that it's Harry, Gail just knows. Yeah. And they go back for him. That's the other sort of be careful what you wish for. is like we wanted to give the character, Gail, an opportunity to be free of him. Yeah. And she chooses not to, even though he annoys her. <laughs> <laughs> well, just like Harry and Cleon, I mean, obviously, Gail and Harry have have a lot in common. Uh, Salvor kind of drags her mom a little bit for that here. She says, mm-hmm. you and him have the same language. I don't speak it. You and him, you're more like each other than you realize. Does, does Gail realize that? I mean, I think she was drawn to him in the first place because of that. Um, yeah. And she looked up to him and she obviously sees value in him and everything he's achieved. So, yeah, I'm sure she does. Is she happy about it? And if she, and does she see, that, like, do the similarities go beyond, like, the math and the intelligence? You know, yeah, probably. And does she like that idea? Maybe not. <laughs> it's interesting to me that... Um you know, one of Gail's main complaints, probably her primary complaint about Harry is you've got to level with me. Just tell me what you're thinking. Tell yeah. me, let me in on the plan. And at the same time, her initial instinct upon having her vision with the mule is to not tell Salvor that she dies. Yeah. yeah. That's it, literally a conversation we had yeah. when we were talking about the scene. She's doing the same thing to Salvor yeah. that Harry's doing to her. But she overcomes that. How on the path to becoming Harry is is yeah, Gail? Yeah, I, I don't know. I I also see Gail's intentions to be to protect Salvor more so than maybe what she believes Harry's intentions are. Right. Like I don't think Harry hides things from Gail to protect her, it's so that mm. his plan goes the way that he wants it to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Let's, Gail's yeah. protect. Gail doesn't want to scare Salvor. So it comes from a place of love and caring rather than like trying to manipulate and play this game. Well, let's talk about some of our new characters. Uh, Malo and Belrios are characters from the book. David, how did you go about, you know, what was the thought process when you're adapting them for the show? So when I was reading the books, I really liked Hober. He was like a more vivid character. And then by the time I got to Bell, Bell, at least until we get to the mule, Bell was absolutely my favorite 
Asimovian character in the Foundation series. Bell was different in that he was incredibly noble and incredibly competent and had this strong moral code and yet was still working in service of empire. So it was this, I was just fascinated by the idea of someone who had incredibly strong ethics, but who was working for a, you know a reprehensible regime. Mm. And what does that do to a person? And how does that person square the circle in terms of their morals? And so I loved both characters and, and, and Hober is a bit of a rogue uh, in the books and we kind of turn him into even a bit more of a rogue than Asimov did. The big change in season two with regards to those storylines is they don't happen at the same time, the Hober story and the Bell story, and we we, we interwove them. Uh, Lou, there are so many storylines uh, in these first three episodes that don't involve Gale, but as you're reading through in your prep, like how plugged in are you with what's going on elsewhere in the galaxy? Well, I think it's so important to read these scripts like from beginning to end full and not just my storyline because like there's a reason that they're written in the way yeah. they're written and that the stories intertwine as they do because they're meant to be parallel to each other in some way and I honestly like this episode is one of my favorites because Belle and Hoba Mallow are two of my favorite characters these this season like genuinely like Hoba is one of the best. <laughs> it was also fun to introduce a character who you know, it's a very serious show and the stakes are really high yeah. between Foundation and Empire. And then Hober just does not give a shit. I, I mean, just, yeah. he just doesn't care. And also just that, that little game, the immediate spark between him and Constant yeah, is like it's such wonderful. a joy to watch. And it's so fun because it feels like a rom-com, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is crazy on Foundation because we don't, we didn't get much of that in season one. Rom-coms, season two. <laughs> I will say this, that storyline, the Gail Salver storyline, interacts with the Hober storyline yes. in a very unexpected way that I do not Ooh. think the audience will see coming. I didn't see it coming. But, but hopefully people will find it's, quite, quite it's clever. very smart, yeah. They do have a direct Yeah, it's one of those, like, you. it happens and you have to rewatch to, like, you know what I mean? You yeah. look back and you're like, oh. Let's pivot to Bell Rios. Quite a contrast from Hober, right? Hober mm. is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break the rules. I'm gonna push the envelope. I'm gonna work outside the rules. And I think you could see immediately when we meet Bell, the way that his fellow prisoners react to him. Let you know that this is a person of of gravity. Absolutely, and I love that introduction to him because it tells you so much about him as a character. I also like that in episode two, Demerzel and Day talk about Bell, but we don't meet him until the next episode. And in episode two, a bunch of characters on Terminus talk about Hober, but we don't meet him into the next episode. And so I also think it's, again, we did that by design, but it's really interesting when you build up an expectation of a character mm. for an episode or two, and then you meet them and how does, how does that reality play against the expectation? Mm. Surely there must be other generals around. What What is it that Demarzel sees in Bell that makes him the person to do this thing. Certainly Day is doesn't agree with it. Well, she says he's honest, he's incorruptible, he's super competent. You know, part of the thing that Asimov is dealing with in the story of the general is what happens when you have a strong general and a weak emperor. Mm. And as we meet this Day, and he's very colorful, but one could argue he's also a weak emperor. 
And I think Demerzel knows that. And she's looking for someone who can work also as a counterweight today, who can be an adult in the room. Because I think she's afraid that all of this stuff, especially if Empire comes in conflict with Foundation, has the potential to really go pear-shaped. And I yeah. think she thinks maybe this day isn't quite the most mature day. And she, needy. yeah, yeah, very needy, very needy. <laughs> and, and and I think she just really wants an adult in the room. I think she wants an adult in the missile silo when people are deciding whether or not to press the button. When they bring Bell to Trantor to meet Day, Bell says, "You're an arrogant bully. If you brought me here just to kill me." And you're an idiot as well. When you defied my orders in battle, you embarrassed me. A man can withstand that, but not an empire. An empire breathes respect, requires it for its life. It also requires planetary systems. And if this foundation is picking them off, then you need the fleet with the highest efficiency rating. Has anyone ever spoken to this day in this manner? I don't think so. I don't think so. And is this Bell after, you know, years in the penal colony, or was Bell always this way? Well, you know, when we talk about Bell in episode two, he's already disobeyed Day's orders once. That's why he's in the penal colony to begin with. So even though he respects the chain of command, he's already broken the chain of command once. But there's no question that this Bell is after six years with no expectation that he'd ever be let out of this penal colony alive. I think he's a little bit more unhinged and a bit more incautious and a bit more like, well, screw it. I don't, Mm. you know, I don't give enough and I'm just going to say what I think. But he already knows that he's been brought there because Demerzel thinks he's the only guy for the job. Mm. So I just think he does. got nothing to lose. Yeah, he's got nothing. Well, he literally doesn't think he has anything to lose. So... He just says, I'm just going to say it like it is. And I think part of the fun of that scene is you really don't know what Day is going to do. I'm not even sure Day knows what he's no. going to do. But uh, even the way that Bell holds himself back and like when Day says to him, like, hit, hit me, hit yeah, me, yeah, and he yeah, doesn't. Yeah. And it's like, so you, you can, can see, see he that wants to, he yeah. wants to, but he still has some control over, you know, where the line is, I think. You know, in, in fact, in that episode... Demerzel essentially says today, so what was the point of all that? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm like, I just kind of wanted to see what he did. What he yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. Which, which I like, you know. And I think Day thought he was going to kill him, and he didn't, which I also think puzzles Day. Yeah. Demerzel says something really interesting to Belle. She says, I know hope is painful. I know hope is painful. You don't have to hope. Just come with me. Does she know that? Is that just a robot response to human emotion? Does she hope for things? Um, I'm going to leave this one to you. <laughs> that's a re- really perceptive uh, question. Yeah. And um, I think we plan to answer that later, <laughs> later this season. No, no, it, it, it's a really... It's it's an interesting question that she says it. Is she saying it for her benefit or does she have right. some lived experience or or as existential experience, I guess, because we don't know if she's entirely living. It certainly seems like she's speaking from personal experience when she says that. Mm-hmm. 
So watch that space. <laughs> Exciting. Um, we get some really tender moments uh, with Belle and Glaywin. Oh, my favorite scene, honestly. Glaywin? Yes. <sighs> it's, it's me. It's really such a wonderful... I, I mean, you know, Belle has not been broken by his years in prison, the execution he thought of his partner. But now you see him really snapped, you know, laid low by the realization that, oh, my lover is alive. Yeah. I mean, what we wanted, you know, Glenn was played by Dino Fetcher and Bell Rios is played by Ben Daniels. And they played opposite one another and played a couple mm. in the normal heart. And, and Ben was the one that suggested that Dino play Glaywin. And so oh, wow. that was a really happy, not accident, but they'd already been playing opposite one another for months. I love the fact that the first time we see Bell, he's he just has all this gravity when he's on the prison planet. And all these prisoners clearly just, he just commands all of this respect. And then he just completely holds his own against Day and refuses to clean up and have his hair cut mm -hmm. or anything. And and he's got all these scabs on him and he goes into the throne room barefoot and completely owns Day. And then the moment he sees Glaywin, he completely crumbles and mm, balls. Yeah. But I love seeing that juxtaposition and, and knowing that, you know, a person can inhabit both of those sides. And it's also just... I mean, I remember directing that scene with the two of them. And I mean, everybody behind the camera was bawling. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, just everybody. You know, it was wow. just it was just really, really emotional. It's a really simple scene, but it's really emotional. Okay, back to the uh back to the body for a second. Harry's body. You have a body. How is this possible? I don't know. Just because uh, you know. I know you're not going to tell me, David, but what can you tell me about the body, about Harry's body? Before yeah, what we can you to, tell us, David, about Harry's body? What can you body? tell us, David, about the body? I would love body? to know. Well, it's <laughs> it's obviously corporeal. You can yes. you can touch it. Uh, I I don't know that there's much more I can say. Uh, um, you know, I don't. You'll never know. Yeah. basically. No, you will. You will know. You will know. If the show goes on long enough, you will know. <laughs> I can tell you we'll be seeing that character Calais again. Oh, at okay. some point. Okay. I think that okay. would be kind of good. That's you know, summon. Lou. You read that in the script. Your reaction is when you re when you you read the script because yeah. you read them kind of one by one, right? Yeah. Yeah. What was your reaction when you got to that that part? I was like, "What? No!" <laughs> she like Lou because that kind of takes away because you know it gives him. A bit of power. I mean, I guess it makes him more vulnerable in a way, but it also gives him a bit of power. It makes him be able, it be in control of him of where he is placed. Because up until this point, she's been able to. Put right, him in the she was in the primary. Yeah, room. yeah. Right. He, she can move him around. She can kind of be like, you know, <laughs> I can turn him on or yeah. off. Yeah, yeah, turn him off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can mute him. Yeah. yeah. I think you, the audience, will find that that relationship this season takes some quite interesting and surprising turns. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, under normal circumstances where a uh, 
hologram uh, recording of a human gets their body back, I think it'd be cause for celebration. But I would imagine that Gail is feeling a lot more complicated about it. She is. Well, I mean, I think in general, she's also just like blaming him still for everything that's happened up until yes, now. Yes, of course. You know, yeah. so they haven't resolved any of that. Like they haven't had a chance to like, you know, talk about it and just be like, you did this. I did this. Let's like put it aside and move forward. It's all those feelings all at once. Then he gets his body. Then he's lying to her again. Then she can't <laughs> let him go. She can't leave him there, you know. But it's also interesting because it, the, there's the moment in the desert when Harry breaks, right, and really loses his temper. And she's saying, you know, you got to let me in and this and that. And he reminds us that his original plan was that Gail was going to go to Terminus right. and and lead the foundation. Yeah. So he obviously had a tremendous amount of faith in her. Yeah. And he says, I intended one psychohistorian on Terminus, right? Right? You know? And then you and Raish just screwed it all up. Because he didn't tell Gail. That's true. The plan. Yeah. yeah. That is that's what true. that is. And that's what I think Gail's point is that like everything goes back to the fact that he yeah. didn't tell her in the first place, because at least she would have followed maybe. She right. Would, who knows? She would have had a, she would have had a choice. She yeah. would have had agency. Well, with with Gail's ability now to see the future. She can, if she chooses, she can be petty about it. She can not let Harry into certain things that she sees now. Do True. you think that might be, I wonder if that might be something that is turning over in Gail's mind. So I'm gonna, am I going to share everything with this guy? Probably, yeah. <laughs> Gotta, we'll see. We'll, yeah, we'll yeah. have to carry on watching the show. <laughs> Tune in next week. <laughs> A fantastic episode. Now it's time for another round of Building the Foundation, our light speed round of questions. This time going to be for you, Lou. Show your one. You won't be allowed to build your foundation. You're supposed to be the one. Why did you put her in the park? You want to be in control? You know nothing! Uh, are you ready? We, we just... I'm nervous. Short, short and sweet. <laughs> Before Harry gets his body back, can Gail, like, physically touch that the, the hologram? Is there any kind of sensation when she puts her, puts her hand through it? No. I don't... No. They never... They never... Yeah, no. Well, in episode five of season one, right, she puts her hand through him. And yeah, then, but there's nothing. Yeah, yeah. What's the temperature on Una's world, this mining planet? Pretty hot. Pretty hot, but not, like, super boiling hot. I guess, like, what, like, 30 degrees Celsius, maybe, you know? Mm -hmm. I would argue a little more. <laughs> a little more? Yeah. Gosh. Maybe, she only has um, a little water bottle with her. Maybe 35. <laughs> <laughs> um. How many prime numbers can you recite? Ooh. I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> so none? <laughs> We're not going to go there. <laughs> as many as Gail can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, holding your breath. How long can you hold your breath for? Ooh, gosh, I haven't done that in a long time. But what was maybe in filming what was like longer than i can i mean yeah. she was in the like ocean a, in open water I yeah mean, i don't know if i could like a minute's a really long time isn't it you can definitely do more than a minute yeah maybe possibly wow wow That's i guess impressive. if i trained i would probably be able to do more my stunt double is pretty amazing she's like incredible at that she's the mexican yeah World uh, champion freediver. Freediver, free yeah. Oh, wow. She does like 70 meters down holding her breath. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, down and up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, what do you think about um, seeing the future? Would you want to be able to do it? 
I like the ignorance of not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I like the excuse <laughs> of being like, ah, I didn't know. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think I quite like not knowing. I think there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it, as you can see with Gail, you know? Yes. So probably not. <laughs> Lou, when and where is Gail, I guess this is for both of you, really, when and where is Gail doing her narration? Is this after everything Ooh. has happened? Right. Uh, you know, in the far, far, far flung future? When and where is this happening? David? Uh, she's definitely, it's definitely not just a random narration. She's yeah. talking to someone Ooh. or someones, I will say that. And it is definitely from a distant point in the future. Once wow. it's all said and done, no? Yes. Yes, after the plan has either succeeded or failed. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode, David and Lou. Thank you. We'll be back next week covering episode four. And thanks to all of you for listening to Foundation, the official podcast. Be sure to follow on Apple Podcasts to get the next episode in your feed and watch Foundation on Apple TV Plus where available. This is an Apple TV Plus podcast produced by Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers at Pineapple are Gabrielle Lewis and Barry Finkel. Our producers are Ahmed Ali Akbar and Ben Goldberg. Our managing producer is Bria Mariette. Darby Maloney is our editor. Engineering and mixing by Hannes Brown. Music by Carly Bond with additional music provided by Apple. And I'm Jason Concepcion. Thanks so much for listening. You're doing well. You are empire.